We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Mike and Darius. And, you know, I know game ones are supposed to be a feel-out game. That's the way that we approach them. LeBron has mentioned that. To me... I wasn't surprised that we lost this game. That was something that with our history of how we approach game ones, it's irritating, but they had a week to prepare for something that they probably knew what was coming and it was pretty much as expected. But there's also a level of engagement and urgency that we didn't have in that game that I'm I'm especially irritated by even expecting a loss, Mike. So uh, where, where are you at on today's game? You generally tend to be a little more optimistic on such things than I am. Oh, Pete, I'm going to stop you right there. You know the word that I like to use is realistic. Realistic. Uh, realistic. That's Mike what I like realistic. to use. I want to see it. Show me with my eyes. I'm, bro, I'm tired of, of all these games where they come out. Like, it's a playoff game. How do you come yeah. out with that kind of urgency in a playoff game? Well, I think – so, Anthony Davis, to me, is the short answer to this question. And he told us that himself. So, we don't have to go and seek out the – the box score and the plus minus and, you know, really evaluate exactly what happened. There are, there are a lot of things that stand out, but more than anything else, you know, AD came to the game and he didn't have the mindset that he had two weeks ago when he played Phoenix and just completely destroyed them. Why I think not? A couple, uh, well, so a couple of things. So first, so the first answer is that yes, it's a playoff game. You should right. Have that mindset. But I, I think that a couple of factors going against him here. And not just against him, but leading into the game. 
So Phoenix had a week that they were sitting on it, and they had not been to the playoffs in 11 years. The Lakers came to town. They were so hype coming out. And I think the Lakers, the Lakers started shooting hot, and AD almost used that, kind of like he used the offseason being short. He thought coming in, okay, you know, I can sort of ease into this. And I think when the Lakers came out like that, he just didn't he just didn't step up to that next level. And that started to permeate as the rest of the game went on Um, that this is the way that he explained it. Okay, I'm not saying I'm not justifying uh, the way that it happened. And I know that people are going to were frustrated watching. and I know that he was frustrated. I know that basically everybody was frustrated afterwards. But that is still, I think, the what, what LeBron said is that, yes, it's not just on AD at all. There are a lot of things that went wrong, and I, I've got a little list that we can get to. But AD does usually respond, and he is more aggressive the next game. So I do think we're going to see that punch back um, in game two. But before we do that, and before I get to my list, I'm wondering, Darius, is there a new entry to the displeasure scale that has anything to do with flight delayed, have to watch Laker playoff loss on phone? Is is there anything uh, in the airport? Is there is there anything along those lines uh, that that you might be able to bring to us right now? Normally, playoff game, I'd be locked in, right? I'd be on my couch. I'd have whatever beverages, whatever snacks, whatever anything I need. I might have a notepad to take some notes about the game. I would be ready. Today was not that case for me, Mike. Today. We went to a family wedding. So full disclosure, I am fully vaccinated. We took COVID tests before we went to just for everyone's peace of mind. And it just so happens, fellas, that the Lakers' first playoff game of their title defense happens to be at a time when I'm going to be flying back home. So I was going to actually miss most of this game. So that would have been a different part of the displeasure scale, Mike, me not even watching a game. But all things considered, that might have been better than what happened to me today. Because today, my flight got delayed. It not only got delayed, it got delayed by like five hours. So I'm at the airport for what feels like a freaking eternity. And I'm watching a basketball game on my phone. And I'm watching the Lakers play quite poorly and not sort of up to the level that you would want for a playoff game. And so all of the frustrations that Pete was was expressing, imagine feeling all of those frustrations in a freaking airport terminal waiting for your flight that was supposed to take off hours ago. But you're not. You're watching on a freaking phone. I'm sorry. I, I want to cuss more, but but I don't want the E up there. I want people to be able to listen to this with their kids in the car or at work, right? So, Mike, the thing that stood out to me with AD is he had a pretty big block very early in that game when the Lakers were sort of playing well. And I was just like, oh, AD, he seems fairly engaged here. He sort of trailed behind Booker, and he got a good block at the basket. And I'm just like, this is... He, he he's he's ready but it was like over five like four or five minutes before he even got a meaningful offensive touch and I was wondering how you guys think if at all that contributed to sort of him sort of drifting 
a little bit more. Like, do you think that had anything to do with it? I do, but but maybe you guys don't. I mean, it's a chicken or the egg thing, right? He's drifting, and so he's going to get fewer offensive touches, but he's also going to get fewer rebounds, make fewer plays on the defensive end. And so it all, you know, the the starters, it was 15 to 15 with 647 left when Drummond went out. We scored well. We were crap in transition defense. We gave up, I think, 10. It was 10-0 in the first quarter in transition D. LeBron made several mistakes. You know that play where they threw that long outlet to Booker and he caught it, but it was in one hand and he was falling to the ground as he kicked it out to the corner for the three. That was a LeBron mistake. LeBron made a couple of mistakes like that. It was it was both LeBron and AD defensively that were making a, a lot of the like, oh, you're not really paying attention right now type of mistakes and the ad's lack of touches and meaningful like offensively is because he's not rolling to the basket he's rolling to the elbow or to the free throw line and Schroeder got downhill a few times in that first shift and when Aiton is in the game they have to play more drop coverage and AD not rolling to the rim. There was a play, I think, in the third quarter with the starters where he rolled hard to the rim and it got blocked by Bridges, but it totally collapsed the paint and Drummond just picked it up and laid it back in right there. But part of it to me, man, is like he's not playing with any force whatsoever when it comes to getting those touches early on. But my bigger concern is when LeBron isn't on the floor and when we're with those end of first quarter type of units, the AD led units in this game got outscored 30 to 19 in 11 minutes and and 13 seconds. We are not generating any offense with those groups on the floor. And we're just throwing the ball into AD in the post. We did it in the first quarter. We had Trez on the floor to end the, the first quarter. He didn't come in until he didn't play at all in the third quarter. He came in to start the fourth Bogle made an adjustment. We'll get into that in, in a moment. But our offense, when LeBron is not in the game, has continued to be simply awful. And I would argue that we need to be running way more in, in terms of ball screens than we are if Trez and AD are going to be in the game at the same time. And if you want to post AD up, those, those are the minutes when Mark should be in the game. When LeBron is not on the floor, we're so discombobulated on offense. Mike, talk me off of my frustrated ledge here because I feel like these are fairly. So, so look, when when the Lakers lose, because they're so talented, there are always going to be many things to get to. Right, you, everything that you just said was true. You know, Utah just lost at home to Memphis. The Clippers lost to Dallas. They are more talented teams. There are things that they did that are easy to pick apart after the fact. Some of them are fixable. Some of them are based on, you know, issues that are going to continue to plague them in the series. For example, like the Clippers have a real Luka problem. Luka's better than Kawhi right now, the way that those two are playing. So like, that's, that's going to be a thing. And in, you know, in Utah, Mitchell didn't play, you know, Gobert has fits with Valencia Eunice. Like there are some real sort of issues there. And, it's kind of like when, when the Lakers lose a game like this, especially when it's game one, happened last year against Portland, happened against Houston. It's uh, the expectation going in, even though we acknowledged, right, that this all of the circumstances for game one were going to be a little bit more difficult. When you get on the other side of it, it's hard sometimes to remember that, like, this stuff just does happen a lot, and it even happened to the Lakers. So and you're not going to buy that now. That's fine. So let me give you a couple examples of things that aren't going to happen again. The Lakers are not going to give up 20 fast break points. That's just urgency and care factor that they, they just weren't ready 
in that sense to the point where Phoenix was flying early. They really rode that crowd. The Lakers have not been in an environment like that, just like the first half against Golden State from a pressure standpoint, they weren't. So they just kind of weren't all locked in there. That's not going to happen again in game two. Aiden's not going to be running the court and getting dunks in transition off misses. They're not going to give up 20 second chance points. That's effort and toughness. I'm, I'm, just tell, I'm telling you, if they, do, if they do in game two, then you can come on and yell at me about it. But, I'll, I'll, but it's, it's unlikely to happen. And then, but, but go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's just the frustration. Like the un- there's an underlying common thread with all of that is like, oh, we didn't particularly give enough of a crap about this game to really go for. It. Like, it's not, I it's understand. Not that. I, Pete, it's I not understand. that. It's not that. the The other team plays too, so you can't oh, just expect no, the no, Lakers no. are going to no, 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 no. have more energy than the opponent every night. It doesn't happen. No, that's I. I expect them to not get massively outworked by the other team every night. That was what happened on plenty of occasions in this game. It's how you get to the 20 points in transition, the, you know, all of the points in uh, all of the second chance points, all of these have a same common thread. I'm not asking for the, the Lakers to, you know, out hustle every team that they play. The other team does play too, but that was not even close in that game along with, you know, some, some lineup stuff. And I don't know. I, I don't understand. Why do we approach game ones this way? It's not, I don't have this like overriding concern about the series and maybe I should, because there's no guarantee, Mike, that this game two is going to be like it was against Portland. Like no, it was Phoenix against is Houston. A better team. Phoenix is a better team than Phoenix is the two seed. Portland right. was the eight seed. Right. So like they're, they're better. Um, I'm just saying that it's not, we've watched this team play for two years and let, let, let's get Darius in here. Um, I, I just, I knew this was going to go, this conversation was going to go like this. Right. And I, I just think it's a, like, you've seen this before. So don't be so, so like, here, let me, let me put it another way. Let's wait and see if they respond to game two, like they always have. If they oh, don't respond, if they don't respond in game two, right. Then I, I will they share all of these concerns. If they don't respond to game two, they're in serious trouble That's in right. the series because they be down. Yeah, two. And, 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 that's, and that's what I can be. I can be irritated about how game one went and expect them to come back in game two, expect them to win the series and all that. But we've been playing with fire for a while now. If game two doesn't go a certain way, like you said, Darius, this is we are in serious trouble. We keep putting ourselves kind of on the razor's edge and I, it doesn't have to be this way. It's it's a tricky thing for me because over the last I don't know, this whole season, I don't know. There's maybe been a handful of times, six, seven, eight times, where I have viably said, either on this pod or written it in a preview for the game that followed the game that just happened, that, well, the Lakers played one of their worst games of the season. And for a playoff game, like, the Lakers did play one of their worst games of the season when you consider the stakes and the opponent. And I get that. I get that there are a bunch of factors that Mike said the crowd was not what I expected in Phoenix. Like, I don't think we've seen a crowd like that all season at an NBA game. I haven't not one that I've watched. There is the, uh, the, the team noticed that too. I heard from a couple of people that were there. And they, they kind of like you do sometimes that they were like, Oh, you know, it it was a, yeah, it it was, they they weren't, they weren't quite ready for it, which I was was weird to say, given who they are, but I, 
I'm just saying, I don't know how much that impacts things, right? A lot. Um, yeah. A lot. And that very well may be the case. Like, like I'll take your word for, for that, right? Like there, there's a certain amount of, of, oh, this is, this is not what I expected. And I saw that from watching on TV. I could only imagine what it felt like in the actual arena. Um, as, like almost, it, it had to be a certain amount of, for lack of a better word, culture shock, right? Because you are, it's been well over a year since NBA teams have really played in front of a crowd like that. And, um, and it's kind of crazy. It was a little bit crazy for me to see on, on television. That said, where I'm more aligned with Pete is the idea of, of look, man, like you gotta, you gotta show up to play. It's the playoffs now. You that like there. I have a certain amount of fatigue of, and it's weird to say this, but I have a certain amount of fatigue around Anthony Davis accountability after the game, saying, "Put this one on me. I wasn't ready. Like I didn't play well. Like I'll basically owning it. It's good to own it, right? But Mike, you like you have kids." Right. There's a certain amount of like, okay, like how many times are you going to tell me that you didn't mean to push down your younger sibling? Right. Or that you didn't mean to say the mean thing to them and make them cry. Or you didn't mean to be, you know, basically. You know better. Right. You know better at this point. And and that idea starts to ring hollow a little bit when when you say it when this is the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth time that you've sort of spoken up about accountability about yourself when it comes to what you needed to do in the moment to play not just better, but harder and more engaged. It's one thing to sort of be like, oh, well, you know, like I missed a bunch of shots, Right. But the tenor and tone that that was brought to the table was just substandard for the atmosphere and the level in which the Lakers are needing to play at now, considering that it is the playoffs. So let me try. Let me try to approach it in in this way. And I again, I want to sort of send a disclaimer here in that I don't I'm not here disagreeing with the way that you guys are reacting to the game and the expectations of it. What I'm saying is I think that. The, the way that you're looking at it, I think, is a little bit different from the way that most veteran NBA players look at a playoff series. Okay. Fill, fill us in. Make us, make us feel better. I could certainly well, it's, use it's not about feeling better. Uh, it's just about, again, it's about being realistic, Pete. The Memphis Grizzlies have to play with their peak level energy every game right now. Like, they're, they're young enough to do it. If they don't, they're going to lose. The Lakers... They know they're still their goal is still to go all the way to the finals. And this is about this is LeBron's whole sort of feel out game one approach. Didn't didn't start um, his first year that 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 went on as he learned what the full length of the grind was. So what they have decided and this is part of this in AD like they are going to you have to beat them four times. And so you're reacting to game one like it's game seven. 
when you say, I just don't no, get not. how you could possibly approach the game and the other team plays harder and the other team is more connected. It's like, yeah, because Phoenix has been desperately waiting for their chance at the Lakers in game one. And the Lakers just aren't. They don't have that same level of desperation. Now, it, it has to pick up literally more and more every game. And, and in this case, now that they're down 1-0, now we're going to see the desperation back. So what I'm trying to do is save my real ire and real sort of analysis uh, aside from the obvious stuff I told you that I think is going to change in game two. And if they can't bring it again, then they might lose the series. But we've seen that, like we've seen, even though this has been such a disjointed season, we've seen them have answers more often than not. And I'm just, I'm giving, I think they have earned that benefit of the doubt to, to be allowed to give answers. I think that's fair. I also think too, that if you, that speaking to the point about just veterans and how they view things like Pete, you and I have watched a ton of NBA playoff basketball and, and the one thing that the Lakers, you know, that they're telling themselves after this, this performance. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, Pete is it's very rare that we've seen a top level team have to start on the road like this. Mm -hmm. And the Lakers are clearly, clearly, clearly thinking they wanted two wins in Phoenix, but they'll be perfectly happy to get that split. Sure. And, and what they really want is that split and to flip home court advantage back to to their level. That doesn't erase any of my frustration about the game. And I think there's going to be plenty of stuff we'll get into on the second half of the pod where we explore stuff, especially as we start to build out in looking forward to game two a little bit. But but to sort of echo what Mike was saying a little bit, I I do think they will be more prepared for game two. That does not erase my frustrations, though, about sort of the the general approach that the team took in in game one. And that's all I'm saying. I expect yeah. them to adjust. I expect them to play better. I expect them to play with a proper sense of urgency. Um, but if you go down 0-2, you know. Yeah. Strange things can happen in one game, and, and you got to give yourself you got to give yourself as many honest chances as possible, and it, as many honest chances as possible, because so much of a series is is based on adjustments, players adjusting to each other, coaches adjusting to each other. That, for example, there were a couple of plays where we blitz Booker. Booker did an excellent job of of navigating that. We did a couple of different versions of it that I'd love to get into over the next pot or two but the first rotation is to deandre ayton on the roll if you don't go slide over and rotate over to him and he gets an alley-oop for a dunk there's no way to know how well you can blitz or run that particular coverage against them if guys don't do their job and there's a certain level of like okay getting beat to a 50 50 ball that's gonna happen right or young guys are sprinting up and they're juiced by the crowd and they hit a wing three as they pull up that's gonna happen it's time and time again guys like there was a play where there was a play, you know, that play where Aiton was all alone under the basket, but he didn't know it. And then he skipped it out for the three and they missed the three. That happened because LeBron was defending Bridges on one side of the court. Bridges crossed from one corner to the other and LeBron just stood there. And Drummond was like, oh, crap, I got to go get him. And then LeBron 
took Aiton and then closed out to the three-point line. And now just as Drummond's covering Bridges in the opposite corner, you've got Aiton all by himself. He doesn't know that, oh, I've got to go back to the guy I was supposed to be guarding the whole time because LeBron just stood there. And that's that's the thing I have a difficulty reconciling with the whole like, look, the Lakers – have they're the more talented team they're the champion they are capable of adjusting it doesn't mean that the whole thing's going to go this way i don't understand how that has to play into that like at least try you know well okay it i don't want to i don't want to be reductive here and say it it happens it does but like they did hold phoenix to 99 points right so like they 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 did try for they didn't they they were not like i so i asked frank ogle i started the game my my initial reaction right just watching myself before a lot of times what part of what i think my i'm colored by is kind of hearing these guys talk about it themselves but i was like frank did you because james worthy said it like I, he didn't think that they brought the right mentality and all that so i put that to frank and he was kind of like yeah i didn't think this was just an effort thing so frank like and then he pointed out of the various levels in which they weren't sharp which yeah, is it wasn't. And again and those are those two things go back and forth. Focus is the mental aspect of yeah, they're, they're, and that's the those those things are related, but it's also in relation to the other team and to the expected level of desperation. And let's just look back at the last game the Lakers played. How did they come out against Golden State? Okay, so why did they get so, did they turn it on so much in the third quarter? Because everything was on the line then. So mm-hmm. and so we've seen that from this team, Kevin Ding said it on Spectrum uh, before this series. He's like, what I'm cur- what I'm a little curious to see is if the Lakers take the playing game and they think, OK, you know, now we can sort of relax a little bit again and relax is the wrong word. But just in comparison to how Phoenix was approaching it. OK, and that's that's what happened. So it's not if he can predict that if I'm going to see that as being possible. And I know that I said I, th- I think I picked, you know, Lakers in five just based on talent and matchups. And, and I kind of ignored that factor. Uh, to an extent, because I, I think now it's going to be much harder uh, to go five. You know, maybe they go six, but we'll see. And if it was that predictive, then we should have we can I think we can understand why, because we've seen this before. We've seen it with AD. We've seen it with the team. We've seen it with basically every NBA team ever. And, and I just wonder, Pete, if you had you been doing the pod during the Shaq days, um, how you would have how you would have responded to certain of those types of games, uh, compa- you know, as compared to Kobe and how he always brought it to a certain extent. And I don't mean yeah. to, I, I know Darius was going to comment, but you know, I no, didn't mean to throw I, I mean, that in there. No, that, that would be, of course it would frustrate me then too. And you know what also happened? I feel like we, a couple of seasons where we had a chance at a title, we didn't win the title because of how we approached the year exactly in this respect. Yeah. So we thought so too, right? Well, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I mean, Pete, the, was it the Houston series last year? I think it was a Houston series because the Lakers won game one against Denver, right? Yeah, they lost game one. They lost <laughs> the first two game ones lost, and won the second two game ones. And so we were encouraged after the loss to Portland. I remember the discussion and I remember the pod because I remember I was a little bit like defiant. It was defiant Darius Day on Twitter and a little bit on on the pod because I was just like, look, man, KCP went over nine. And the Lakers shot like crap and they defended their asses off. And if they just would have hit a normal number of shots, they would have won. That was true of this game too. It was to a certain extent, but it was a mix. 
this game, if people want to point at game one against Portland as sort of the template for for this game, I think that's kind of true. I also think, though, that it's also a, it's a mix to me a bit of the Houston game as well, because I also remember our pod, Pete, after the Houston game. And that game, you basically said a very similar version of what you just said to Mike right Mm -hmm. now, which is, I don't know if what we want to do works. You know why I don't know if it works or not? Because these dudes barely even tried to do it with Mm -hmm. the level of attentiveness and focus that they needed to do to execute it at a level where it tells me if it works. What Houston did worked a lot. A lot of it worked because of the fact that the Lakers were operating at 75 percent, 80% of sort of within the context of of their scheme and sharpness and focus and commitment to executing that. And this game wasn't quite to that low level for the entirety of the game. But there were enough stretches of that, Pete, which I think is what which That's I right. think is is what the point you were trying to make to Mike was. It's it's that I don't know if some of this stuff works. I don't know how much they need to necessarily change in certain areas because they didn't execute it well enough to tell me if what Phoenix has as a counter to that or what yeah. they would normally do to beat it. If like where are we at? And and so some right. of the tape is is like throw it out because if if LeBron is standing here while his dude goes all the way to the other side side of the court, I know that's not the plan, right? And this I, yes, but th- this this will be my final thought. You maybe if you want to kick us a break, like th- this is what my point keeps being that we have seen them respond before. We have seen it. So it's not even – we talked about the Kobe Shaq years, how they may have left some stuff on the table. And, like, this team has not yet. They have not. LeBron plus AD plus role players in the, def- in the defensive intensity, all that kind of stuff, they haven't done it yet. So that's where the benefit of the doubt comes for me. And I do think that the second chance points, the fast break points, that's the stuff that I think they – that alone take out the wide open threes missed by KCP and Wes Matthews and AD not getting to the free throw line, the stuff that can be fixed – um, and it will just by the law of averages. That's the stuff I think that uh, that that gets cut out. And I'll uh, look. I will. I will fall on the sword um, if those adjustments aren't made after game two. And then maybe this is going to be more of a series than I originally thought. Yes. Again, I'm expecting us to adjust. I'm expecting us to to thrive, and I'm expecting us to win game two. But what you said about we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. About it being predictable and about what Ding said about I wonder if they do exactly the thing they ended up doing. The fact that it is predictable is what I am annoyed at. Hopefully that annoyance will be gone in the next couple of days. But the fact that this is a thing, I have seen enough great Lakers teams fall victim to this like, ah, when we need to, we'll turn it on and we will just overwhelm them with the greatness of the glorious Lakers. Like I've seen that end poorly a couple of times. So that's why I'm, I've got my wrinkles up. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get more onto the court because yeah. uh, there's, this is an interesting series on, on a few levels. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more with a Credit Karma money spend account. You can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Darius, we can't score 90 points and win playoff games. Why does our offense suck? I mean, look, so. <laughs> I thought you'd like that, Mike. I thought you'd like oh, that. Oh, goodness, bro. Uh, oh, no, well, beautiful. look, look I'm, I'm, I mean, when Vogel talked about, Vogel pivoted pretty quickly, Mike, in his post-game com comments. The the note that you made earlier or or the note that you relayed earlier about Vogel sort of saying, I didn't think this was necessarily an, an effort thing. Phoenix scored 99 points. Right. Or we held them to 100 or whatever the final score score was. I had to board my damn plane with a minute and a half left, guys. A minute. So I knew the game was over, but I had to board my damn plane. So I didn't see the final score in the moment. Anyways, it's neither here nor there. Vogel pivoted to we have to play better on offense. Right. Like if we're going to hold this team to 99 points or whatever it was, then that's a winnable game for us. That's Vogel's perspective. And so, so sorry. No, look, there's a lot of things that went wrong offensively this, this game that I think would have papered over some of the sort of structural issues that, that we're seeing. Like Mike mentioned the shooting and the shooting is one of the things that I mentioned when we did our sort of like confidence pod, right? About mm-hmm. like, where are you at and what are the things that you see sort of potentially holding this team back? Mm-hmm. And shooting was one of those things. Phoenix, 
Phoenix ran the same game plan that pretty much every team ran during the playoffs last season, for the most part, right? We're going to show extra help on LeBron. We're going to show extra help on, on AD. We're going to pack the paint, and the shooters are going to have to make shots. And it didn't happen for the Lakers this game. KCP's shot looked as off as it's looked I mean, in in a single game over the last four weeks, six weeks, he's been pretty dialed in as an outside shooter. And these mm-hmm. misses weren't close. They were. He was missing right and left, Pete. And, and he you, was wide open. He was alone on a lot of them. And you always say, right, when a shooter's on, he's missing short and he's missing long. KCP was not missing short and long. He was missing right and left. And that tells me he was just off this game. And Wes had a few open looks as well. None of those fell either. The other part of this is, though, is that the Lakers aren't playing as many shooters as they played last season. Right? And so, like, are you pining for Mark Gasol right now? Yes, yes. Talk to me then about Mark, because I'd like to see Mark too, but but tell me why you want to see him, and then let's go to Mike too, because I I think it's an interesting pivot point here within the discussion about sort of what we envision the best version of the Lakers being and what players contribute to that ideal in in our own minds. So – One thing I always say about Vogel is he tries to solve his problems with defense. That's always his first instinct. And so the way that we ended the third quarter was around AD with LeBron off of the floor was different than how we ran the first quarter with LeBron off of the floor. In the first quarter, we had AD and Trez as the big man combo there. And we gave up a lot of points. In, in the, and we weren't able to generate much good offense. We just kept throwing the ball to AD in the mid post. And again, a lot of these, why do these things not work? A lot of those roads lead back to Anthony Davis not being Anthony Davis in this game. Uh, but that lineup was especially bad. And that's where, again, Drummond went out. The game was tied. By the end of the first quarter, it was, you know, Phoenix had, had taken had taken control of the game, at least as much as you can early on in in a playoff game. And so in the third quarter, Vogel switched that up. Trez didn't play at all in the third quarter. Who he did play next to to AD was Wes, Alex, KCP, and Kuz. So you've got five guys who can defend. You've got AD at the five. You've got spacing in that lineup too. Every guy can shoot, can catch and shoot. But there's no advantage creator amongst those other four there's no guy that compromises the defense and breaks it down so that those guys can get those open catch and shoot type of threes that guy's supposed to be anthony davis but they were sticking deandre ayton on him in single coverage and ad wasn't getting good looks and i'm i'm at the point where first off if we're going to be posting up ad those absolutely have to be mark minutes because that changes the spacing of the floor. It gives him there's nobody to help from that low that low side. If they do, then the spacing is much better. You've got a guy who can hit threes off of those. To me, if you've got those types of lineups, the 
uh, where you've got if you don't have Mark on the floor and say you've got Trez and AD, we've got to be running ball screens like it's it's much more of a ball screen series than a post up series. So I just feel like there are so many things that we're doing that or that we did in that game that made it more difficult on on everyone. And we we got to score more than 90 in in uh games like this mike i know and i know we're going to i know we're going to score more than 90 points but i'm sorry i'm irritated on several levels after this game yeah i I think you're i think you're you're speaking for a a a certain percentage of of the of those that watch the game no question i I think it's i think again it's totally understandable i mean to me on offense a lot of this had to do with spacing and i know that we talk about that a lot but i just think they they (laughs) they weren't getting to the spots that they know they can to execute. Um, and Phoenix did a really good job of scouting exactly how to play off of that. And so like, for example, you just mentioned a lot of the action that they run when Anthony Davis catches the ball. Well, Phoenix has been drilling that all, all week. It is my I assumption. Mean, we, we don't run much action at all when we throw the ball to Anthony well, Davis but the, in the post, but, but okay. So however you want to describe it, that Phoenix was Phoenix was sitting on, the stuff that the Lakers like to do and they weren't really letting them get into it much. And the Lakers just kind of were like, okay, you know, and they, they didn't, they didn't really hit back in that stance. So like mm-hmm. part of it is part of that to me is also like Darius mentioned, the KCP was way off. I don't, that's a little bit harder to explain, right? Cause he's been in such a nice rhythm other than that for KCP, sometimes a change of environment does make a big difference. So I wonder if that's at all related to, uh, what we said before about just the first time kind of playing in front of a live crowd like that. But guess what? He's going to have to adjust real quick to that. And like, that's the kind of thing that uh, that's the kind of thing that they certainly have to have moving forward. But I also think that we've spent a lot of time on the pod this year talking about the offense and, you know, never quite being satisfied with it and for understandable reasons, but they still, a lot of what they do um, comes off the way that they play defense and get out and run. And they didn't really do that either. And so, they're not going to be some beautiful half court team that they figure out all, all together as, as opposed to like LeBron and AD creating it, like AD's aggression alone changes that a lot. And then LeBron going to the rim was the other thing I want to point out. Cause he just didn't do that much. LeBron's shot chart. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at it right now. He shot four times in the paint. That's it. Two for four in the paint. And he only shot 13 times overall, but you know, with AD playing how he played and then LeBron only getting into the paint four times, you know, that's, that's a, that's a recipe for offense, not being good. What I will say too is, so I'm for playing Mark in general. Like, I mean, I, we've been down this road a bunch of times before. I think that offensively he's just helpful. And so if comparing him to the other centers, like, I think he is, if he's like a a seven on offense and a seven on defense, that might be better than Drummond's like five or six on, on offense and seven or potentially eight sometimes on defense based off of what like Drummond's strengths are defensively right and just how more athletic and active that he can be and that seven and seven that mark provides could be better than trez's potentially like eight on offense and like four or five or three or four 
on defense, uh, particularly based off of like what Trez may be asked to do defensively and how much that does or does not play into his strengths, right? Mark is... So Mark probably has a higher floor than both of those players. And, and I think that that helps overall, right? So I'm for, I'm for playing, playing Mark. To me, he's got a very clear portion of the game to play in too. Cause one lineup that I did like was how we started the fourth. If we're going to play Trez, it's those lineups with Sharich on the floor and play him next to LeBron. LeBron and Trez have nice chemistry in the pick and roll. They and do. that was one of the time, times where we spread the floor, run spread pick and roll. We ran had LeBron in the post sometimes. He hit a, a couple of cutters. That lineup played well, and it made sense relative to Phoenix's talent. And But – to me the time to play mark is the period before that when lebron's out of the game at the end of that first quarter at the end of that third quarter it really helps to organize dennis and ad and it gets a smaller player on ad it brings bodies out of the paint it just it makes sense and i i like mark's too good to be getting dnps in a playoff game and it's such an obvious part of the game where like that's where he makes sense that i really hope that's an adjustment that they make for me, I want Mark Mark to play for all of the reasons that that Pete Pete said. But one of the things I really want to see see happen is I sort of want the Lakers to put the onus more on AD so that the spotlight is even on him more, that he's in the middle of the frame even more. And right? How do they do that? I think I think they do need to involve him in in more ball screens. Just just like you said, I think they need to play him with more spaced lineups, right? So it's no coincidence that AD looks his best with when he's at the five. And it's because he's technically the only big on the floor and there's no one else that's going to clog the anywhere on the floor for him. If AD is outside, then almost everyone else is outside except for maybe LeBron if he's on the court with, with LeBron, right? Um but if AD is inside, there's definitely no one else that's like sitting in the dunker spot or anything like, well, like that. Mark helps replicate that, even though he's also a big, right? And the, the last time that AD and Mark played together, Mark reminded me a little bit of Rondo in that he was just like, oh, look, AD, you're sort of, you're sort of open. You're sort of open. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw a moon ball. Right. And right? have you go, like, go up and get it. Right. And you're just going to go and get it. And you know why? Because I'm I'm sort of forcing the action on to you. And one of the things that – and Pete and Mike, you listened to the pod a bunch last year and listened to me and Pete ramble on and on and on about how frustrated we were during the regular season last year about like, shit, man, why do they keep just throwing the ball to Anthony Davis and just like throwing it to him and throwing it to him and throwing it to him. And all he's doing is sort of face it up and shooting jumpers and all of this, this and that, but all of that paid off in the postseason, and it paid off because it gave him reps and it consistently put him in the center of the frame, he was always, 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 always the second or first option. Always. Anytime that he was on the floor, he was getting a touch. And so I'll bring it back to what I mentioned earlier in the pod. 
AD went the first four and a half, five minutes, guys, without getting a meaningful touch. And it was LeBron. Look, LeBron star started out hot. He was shooting his jumper. But when he wasn't, he was running pick and roll, but he was running it with Drummond. Right. And then Dennis, it was time for Dennis to eat. So Dennis was getting downhill and he was trying to run some pick and roll with with Drummond or or he's backing the ball out and he's trying to isolate and drive. And all of those possessions, A.D. is just sort of spacing. Right. And 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 it bothers me. It bothers me. This dude is one of the top five six players in the entire league. And I think it plays into his mindset to float. If you're going to let him float, if you let him sort of become untethered a little bit, he will, he will, because this team is super talented. They do have another guy who was an all-star just a couple of years ago, starting right next to him at center. They do have another high usage guard who is going to look to attack and look for his own offensively. And I don't want to absolve Anthony Davis here for not sort of like looking for his own offense and and being more assertive. And when he does make, make a catch moving sort of slowly and nonchalantly and just like, Oh, I'll turn and face and I'll jab and I'll jab. So sort of the worst parts of what Carmelo Anthony was when Melo was sort of like, almost out of the league, right? When he was becoming a parody of himself. AD can sort of slip into that mindset of, oh, well, you know, like, I guess it's my turn now. I'll do this, this, that, that, and the other. But I'd much rather the the Lakers look to force feed him more and, and say, you know what? We're going to you. We're going to you every freaking time. And where we go is going to depend on you because that stretch when LeBron came back and then he sat back out, AD started to play some of his best basketball because everything revolved around him. And, and I'd love to see the Lakers purposefully get back to some of that with him because I think that's going to bring out the best in him too. Instead of just always saying, Oh, well, AD needs to do more of this too. Like, I think they need to help him like take those steps forward. Am am I off base with this or be because I'm, or am I watching a different game than than what you guys are watching? you're, You're on base. It's just, this is, we've, we've seen this go both ways, right? For the last two years. So there are, there are games like this that, as you said, for whatever reason, AD doesn't get as involved early, and then it it becomes a thing that can snowball some. Now he's usually going to get find a way to get to his twenty one way or the other. Um, that that didn't happen as much tonight, and he said, as I referred to earlier, and you just kind of tripped my mind again. He said that seeing how the Lakers were getting in a nice rhythm early, that did kind of get his uh, kind of tap his aggression level a, a little bit. But let's just think back two weeks ago. Who was on the floor when AD went for 42 on 27 shots and 17 free throw attempts against the same exact Phoenix team in which, you know, basically everybody played except for Kaminsky uh, played 25 minutes off the bench and Torrey Craig only played nine. He started Jay Crowder didn't play, um, which is uh, I don't think John- Johnson didn't. Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. Johnson, Johnson didn't play. play. Crowder played 28 minutes. So, yes. it was you know, now Phoenix didn't have as much on the line like they were going for the one seed. But clearly the Lakers took that game more seriously 
than Phoenix. They were they were the ones that punched first. AD was all over the place. And we weren't having any conversations afterwards about like the Lakers getting stagnant in certain actions. And, you know, it wasn't like they had some uh, uh, some elite playmaking on the court. This was not just LeBron that didn't play, but Schroeder didn't play. Caruso started. Um, Gasol did play 18 minutes off the bench. But it's just part of my point is that they if AD is aggressive, all of that other stuff doesn't matter that much. That's it. I feel like you're making my point for me. I is am. because LeBron yeah. didn't play. Yeah, LeBron didn't play. Dennis didn't play. It was like AD. Like it's your time, well, man. Like the point we're I was going more, where yeah. you take us. I'm 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 more I'm not like directing this at Pete, but it's part of our same conversation that we had last year about like the Lakers playmaking and do they have enough and are they have and I'm just like if AD is aggressive, it doesn't matter. It, it, it just doesn't matter. Now he's not aggressive every time, but like the, if he is aggressive and LeBron is being LeBron. They are. It is overwhelming for the opponent when combined with the Lakers defense. And it's it's not always pretty. That's that's kind of what my point is. And I'm saying that four times out of seven, you're going to get that from the two of them. I hope so. And and so far in playoff series, that's been the case. But I've seen a whole season of AD like sort of bring it sometimes. And it's always been OK. You know, he'll, he'll be there for playoff time. Game one of the playoffs. He wasn't. And is that going to continue going forward? I don't think so. Probably not. He's somebody that I, but. Pete, Pete it's like, it is, let me, let me try this to make you feel better. It's like the opposite of, you know what? Like when Josh Smith would hit a three in the first quarter and the, mm-hmm. and the opposing assistant coaches would be like, yes, yes. Like I understand that. So it's like, yeah. Okay. So now that, now that it happened in game one and all these next mm-hmm. two days are going to be about ADs, this ADs, that, you know, that's going to influence his mindset, I think. And, and I'm not, again, I'm, I'm just, I'm not even really blaming him that much. Like Darius explained some of the reasons why that it happened uh, in, in the first quarter and how it sort of snowballed from there. And it, we all kind of turn our directions to it. But like, I, I also think that we shouldn't forget that for the most part, he, like in his time as a Laker, he has brought it. This year was a little bit different. And he, you, you heard it in his mindset before the season started. He said the same thing as LeBron. Then LeBron came out and played like LeBron, and AD wasn't quite ready to get to it. But he's always he's always been filtering his mind, his own mind towards okay, you know what I, I got to get I got to get to a certain level to get to the end goal. And we've now seen one game, and he failed in his own mind for that. And I think that I think that he will have an answer, and I think you do too. I do, I do. All I'm saying is that what has actually happened. And what I have seen actually happen, not what I hope will happen or what I think will happen, also matters. And that we need to have some contingencies in place for the drifting version of Anthony Davis. And that's going to be important going forward. And to do that, we'll have to make some adjustments. And so that'll be the next episode, adjustments going into game two. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the He's an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. 
a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddy pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.